This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Soma Free Institute of Psychoplasmics. Remember the slogan, Psychoplasmics can cause cancer. Catchy, huh? Welcome to Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. My name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And today, we're watching... The Brood. From 1979. Are you excited? Very. Do you know anything about The Brood at this point? All I knew was that it was about evil children. Evil children. All right. So, anything we want to talk about before we get started and actually watch The Brood? Is there anything on our minds Kelsey, you mentioned you wanted to talk about some of the other names that we thought of. Oh, yes. One of our listeners asked us, what were the names that we came up with? Did we find that list? I have the list. Okay. Before we decided on Pod Cemetery, which, by the way, everybody, yes, we know Cemetery is spelled wrong. (laughs) That is based on the movie... Pet Cemetery, based on the book, Pet Cemetery, spelled wrong on purpose because it is in the book and in the movie spelled by children. Yeah, come on. Get it right. We were English majors. Please do not think that we think that's how you spell cemetery. <laughs> okay, so we had a lot of ideas and we had to come up with a lot of ideas because so, so many of them are already taken. I'm just going to go down this list in no particular order. And Kelsey, if you feel the need to comment, then please do. Terror Time. Haunted Hours. I was excited about Why? that. Why? Is it because it's like Haunted House? Yes. Okay. All right. Screen Screams. That's kind of hard to say. Years of Fears. I was I I was proud of that because it's based on the premise of classic All and modern horror. All over the years of yeah. the fears. Night of the Living podcast. It was a little specific with we had, Pod Cemetery. Yeah, we had a few of those because it's fun to just put podcasts in things. Then Night of the Living podcast. It's like a horror movie about a podcast. That was already taken. Little Pod of Horrors, which I loved. But also taken. Taken. Misery loves company. Also taken. After Dark. It's not specific enough. It doesn't mean anything. And there's so many things named After Dark. Variations on that. Watching in the Dark, which was available and we didn't end up going with it. Watchers in the Dark, which is actually the name of a faction in Warhammer 40k. So we decided to avoid that. Afraid of the Dark. I put available-ish. Because, you know... Are you afraid of the dark is a thing that already exists. And originally I said we are afraid of the dark, but Chris didn't like it. <laughs> that was the next one on here. We are afraid of the dark. Uh, some some SEO, some some Google search engine optimization. You do something like we are afraid of the dark and all they're going to get is results about are you afraid of the dark. The kill list. I don't even remember that one. It's the name of a movie. You came up with it. Did I? Yeah. Rosemary's podcast. Oh, again, too specific. Uh, you can't, it's not too specific. That wasn't the problem. The problem was it was taken. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh. Our current name is too specific. 
it's fine to being specific. I think it's cute, you know, Rosemary's Baby, Rosemary's Podcast, but that was already taken. The podcast of Dr. Caligari, close, but it kind of sets up a premise that we can't follow through on. <laughs> it's all our fault. You don't even remember what that one's about, do you? <laughs> there was a joke there. Probably. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> so we ended up going with a name here. It's on the list. I need to preface this because it was a combination of two of our favorite horror movies. Like each of us, Kelsey was of the idea that we could combine our two like favorite horror movies and make that like make a name out of that unfortunately what that results in is the jaws of the poltergeist i think that's awesome (laughs) i thought that would have been a great name (laughs) all right uh pod cemetery is on the list at this point uh salem's pod another stephen king novel and chasing down a killer also sets up a premise that we can't really follow through on yeah so we had a lot of options there were plenty of others but this is kind of what we narrowed it down to and decided to do actual research on (laughs) and the only ones that were available were salem's pod pod cemetery which hey hey uh the podcast of dr caligari all the afraid of the dark variations and that's about it so we got to pod cemetery almost as process of elimination and then it worked out that The Ramones already had a song that we could use as a theme song, and if we end up getting super popular, we'll probably have to replace. What do you mean, if? (laughs) Fair, fair, fair. What do you think of our name, Kels? I like it more now. What? (laughs) Are you telling me you didn't like it before? Were you just humoring me? Well, there were other ones that I liked better, and you said, well, a lot of them were taken, so. Yeah, a lot of them were taken. There are plenty I would have gone with, but they were already taken. So that's the end of our first segment. Why'd you call yourself that? <laughs> that's what I'm calling that segment. So if, you, from... if anyone else has any other questions, please email us. Yes, do. At podcemetery at gmail.com. That's P-O-D-S-E-M-A-T-A-R-Y. I'll slow it down for you. P-O-D-S-E-M-A-T-A-R-Y at gmail.com. And uh, send us any questions or comments or concerns that you have. And maybe we'll address them on the show. That being said, we'll move on to 1979's The Brood. They come from the unknown. And they're here now, hiding, waiting to strike. You can feel their presence all around you. Never before have you come this close to the edge of terror. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Never until now. David Cronenberg's The Brood. You can run, you can hide, and hope they won't find you, but you won't escape. Once unleashed, The Brood will destroy anyone who gets in their way. David Cronenberg's ultimate experience in inner terror, starring Oliver Reed and Samantha Egar. The Brood, they're waiting for you. Kelsey? Yes? What's The Brood about? 
the brood is about god it's kind of hard to explain a guy his wife is in a mental hospital he and the the wife are kind of separated and so the daughter gets to go visit her every once in a while and he sees that his daughter has bruises so he wants to try to get her out of contact with the mother, but the doctor, who just right off the bat seems there's something odd about him, um, is like, no, she must see her. She must see her. And it's really weird. And he kind of, I don't even remember. It all kind of blends together. But basically, he finds out that this doctor is all about rage and the rage that we keep inside and understanding how to he works through it with role playing, yes. which they actually put on publicly yeah. with some observers. You're not looking at me, Mike. You're not looking at me in the eyes. That's weak. Only weak people do that. I could look you in the eye if if I wanted to, Daddy. I, I just I just don't want to look you in the eye. I guess you're just a weak person. Hmm? Must have got that from your mother. It probably would have been better for you. Being born a girl. It was a That's weird how the movie, movie starts. Also, this is by David Cronenberg, which yes, I didn't written, know. Written and directed by David Cronenberg. So, anyways, he like there starts being all these murders around town, and there are people that are associated with the yes. woman. It's her mom. It's her dad. It's the other woman, the teacher. Oh yeah, the teacher that he. That she thought he was she having, a, ra- he was a, relationship having an with. with. Yeah. But, like, they only had one dinner together. No, yeah. And, and when the wife called and screamed at her and called her a bitch, <laughs> she said, this is too much for me. I don't think I'm ready for this or you're <laughs> ready for this. And so she leaves, but it doesn't save her. She gets bludgeoned to death in the middle of her classroom anyway. Holy jeez. So the brood stars Oliver Reed as Dr. Hal Raglan. That's the guy. Samantha Egger is Nola Carveth. That's the the woman who we haven't gotten there yet. The crazy one. Art Hindle is Frank Carveth. And uh, a bunch of other people. This is one of Cronenberg's earlier films. What do you think about when you think about Cronenberg? I think about body horror, which there actually, I mean, there's a little bit of it right in this. Right at the end, really, more than anything? there's not a lot. And usually when you think about Cronenberg, you think of grotesque body horror. And there wasn't a lot here. And so, I didn't even know it was by Cronenberg when I chose it. So Cronenberg himself calls this the most classic horror film he's ever done. As opposed to the ones, like you say, that are more body horror associated like the fly and that sort of thing video drones scanners with mm-hmm. heads exploding oh don't Aww. talk about that that makes me sad. it makes her sad every time and it's used in so much of the pop culture consciousness if you don't know it's the guy in the glasses whose head explodes if you've ever seen that that's from scanners by david cronenberg he also says that this is uh one of his most autobiographical along with the fly and dead ringers he he wrote it because he had just gotten a divorce and he had a custody battle with his newly ex-wife. Margaret Hinson is her name. He said that Samantha Egger's character, Nola, the, the, the wife who's been institutionalized, she had some of the same characteristics of his ex-wife. So I you would can imagine not... what he thought of her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would not be happy if I heard that. 
He said, this is my favorite story. He said that this is his version of Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, Kramer versus Kramer is a movie about divorce. And it actually won, it won Best Picture that year, right? In 1979? I think so. It was like, it was created at the, around the same time uh, with Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep. It was hugely successful. There aren't a lot of movies that are on the side of the father, so. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, well, Cronenberg said he called it, quote, false fake candy uh, in his own book where he wrote an autobiography, Cronenberg on Cronenberg. And he called it that. He says, quote, there are unbelievable, ridiculous moments in it that to me are emotionally completely false. He said that the brood with its streak of typically Cronenbergian horror was a superior depiction of divorce. Quote, I was really trying to get to the reality with a capital R, which is why I have disdain for Kramer. The brood got to the real nightmare, horrific, unbelievable inner life of that situation. Well, it's interesting that he says that because I would argue that it's more the the doctor's fault than it is the woman's fault. Yeah, but she has... She has... A disorder that she can't control, and then the doctor is stoked about it, and so he encourages it. So Cronenberg wraps that up by saying, I'm not being facetious when I say it's more realistic, even more naturalistic than Kramer. I felt that bad. That's why it had to be made then. It wanted to be made full blast. So... You can see it's an expression of how awful he felt divorce was, and that Kramer versus Kramer being a drama couldn't quite embody the real emotions that people are feeling when they're going through divorce and custody battles. And that's what this movie intended to do. Sorry, Cronenberg. I think you're, uh, I I've never even seen Kramer versus Kramer, but Cronenberg sounds like you're a little more up your ass than you need to be. Also, like I said, no, I blame the doctor way more than I blame the woman. Which is fine. Woman. No, that's not the point. The point is, is the metaphor for divorce. You can't just show divorce. Showing divorce doesn't tell you how it feels. You have to use metaphor, which you would tell your students. To, Absolutely. To really show them what it feels like and to see what you're in, in the course of a divorce, to see what happens to your ex-spouse. I'm sure on both sides, it's like they become another person and they be, they get... They get petty, they get angry, they scream and yell at you when once they used to love you. It's almost as if they become monstrous. That's the point. And you can't reflect that in Kramer versus Kramer. Well, I've never seen it, so I don't know. You can't reflect that in just a natural movie that doesn't have these monstrous elements in it. Because it's not going to show you how he really feels. Being a product, not a product of divorce, but being a person who went through a divorce, he would know. You're telling me that a drama cannot show monstrous sides of humans. That it can't show deep-seated emotional problems. It's not, I could say that using metaphor is often more effective than just saying literally what happens. Yes. Not that it can't do it, just that it might not be as effective as metaphor. So that being said, what else did you want to talk about? So this movie was not what I was expecting it to be. Okay. Because you didn't know it was Cronenberg. A, I didn't know it was Cronenberg. B, I didn't know there was this whole side, like, with the therapy and everything. Mm -hmm. You just thought there was child murder and you didn't know what it was about. I knew there was a mother. I knew that the mother had evil children. Hence the term, the brood. 
And I thought that they were running around murdering people, and I just thought it was a horror movie like that. Uh-huh. I did not know it was going to be psychological. I didn't know that it was going to blend the... I mean, I knew that the children were weird-looking. Mm-hmm. I had read that before. Um, and so for people who maybe didn't see it or couldn't see it, but you're still listening to this, the children, there are multiple of them, they go on murderous rampages and they kill whoever Nora happens to be angry at at the time who whoever she's expressing her rage at and there's a parallel between her sessions she has with the doctor and who she's angry at in those sessions and who the children kill that's because they are emotionally linked to her and they carry out her rage maybe or maybe not without her knowledge they're not entirely clear on whether she sends them out to do it or she just knows and she's okay Eventually, or she doesn't know Eventually the doctor kind of concedes and makes it sound like, no, she knows. Mm-hmm. But it's not like she tells them to do it. It's not like she's doing it herself. These byproducts of her rage because, yes, that is the ultimate conclusion. They are products. They... They show her at the end, it's this crazy scene, and you see that she's pregnant, but it's on the outside of right. her. And you know how stress leads to ulcers? We know that emotions can affect your physiology. So, like, that's not a problem. What is the remarkable crazy thing is that, yes, she she gets these birthing sacks and then gives birth to these deformed children, these children. deformed children with no teeth. They have kind of like uh, beaks. They have, they have sacks hair on lips. the yeah. They have sacks on the back of their neck that is that has the nutrients that they feast on. And once they don't live for long, because once all that nu- all the nutrients are gone, they just die. Almost like if you stop feeding your rage, it goes away. That's the opposite of what the doctor is doing, which is feeding this rage consistently. He gets them to feel it. He convinces them to express it because he thinks, oh, you know, like punching a pillow. It makes you feel better or whatever. He doesn't know that it's having this crazy adverse effect. Oh, he knows it with her. That's why she's the special one. That's why he sends yeah. all the other Good point. mental patients yeah. away. Um, because he desperately wants to watch what happens with this woman. And that's why I mainly blame him, because she can't control the fact that she has these things. It's said in the movie that she, even as a child, she would get these weird bumps all over her body, and they would take her to the doctor, and no one could ever figure out what was wrong with her. And then, because she's with this doctor who encourages her to express her anger, encourages her to feed it, as Chris has said, they come to life. And so, and because the doctor knows about this and does nothing to stop it, that's why I put the blame on him. So I find it... Oh, yeah, he is, I agree, he is totally to blame, yeah. So I find it interesting that Cronenberg wants to make this whole, like, deal about it being his wife that was the, um... Well, he doesn't necessarily assign blame as, like, the reason it's happening. He's, He's showing that it is happening, well, but before you had ever told me that quote, I mean, I think you told me earlier that it that he was going through a divorce at the time. But before you had ever told me that quote, I actually thought it might have been a disdain towards therapy. Sure, yeah. Okay, I can see that. He hasn't, at least as far as I know, expressed that. But you can absolutely read it that way. Or for alternative forms of therapy, maybe. For therapy as theater, which is definitely what that guy was using it for, which is really sick. 
I think it's definitely an indictment of that sort of therapy where you think you're doing good just because it sounds profound and not necessarily like fact-based and results-based because obviously the results here are horrific. What did you think about the acting? I thought it was good. I, I thought... I put remarkably good. Huh. I was very surprised at the acting. Obviously, Oliver Reed was very intense and over the top, but I really liked Art Hindle's acting, Frank, the main character. I really liked him. I thought Samantha Egger was suitably over the top. Like It's not something you're going to win any Best Actor awards for. Now, it's funny that you talk about how great the acting is, because I specifically wrote, is it supposed to be this melodramatic? Yes, yes it is, and that's why I'm okay with it, with the acting, is because it is absolutely supposed to be this melodramatic. Speaking of acting, I think that the Doctor has one of the best lines in the entire movie. Can you remember what that line is? No. Frank, I've got a gun. Frank, I've got a gun. (laughs) It's so good. It is so good. It's so perfectly delivered, and I'm absolutely going to play that here. Frank, I got a gun. So looking into Cronenberg and his history, from the movies he made in the 70s and 80s, I read a comment that says the brood contains scientific innovation, which goes wrong, has unforeseen consequences. So in this case, it's psychological innovation. That has unforeseen consequences. Or in The Fly, it's teleportation. In Scanners, it's uh, the telekinesis or whatever it is, the power that they have. In Videodrome, it's entertainment and television. So in those decades, he was making a lot of movies that had what if innovation leads to these crazy consequences. So about the whole innovation being the problem thing... I guess you could say that, yes, innovative therapy, but if he didn't even say that himself, then it can't really be seen as what he was intending. Not that director's intent should really be your focus, but still. Yeah. If he didn't say that and he said so much about his intention, then clearly that wasn't what he was going for. But, like I said, all of my anger at the characters went straight to the therapist, not to the wife. The wife is just crazy. Right, and he was manipulating that. Yeah, he yeah. was using it to his advantage. And I understand that the father is blaming her because, you know, well, clearly she's unsafe to have the child around. Right. Obviously. Yeah. Because what you find out is that the children of rage beat up the daughter. Yeah. And that is one little thing that did stick in my mind. The fact that the mother was a victim of abuse as well. Yeah. As a child, her mother is clearly a alcoholic. Who stood by and did nothing. No, the mother was the alcoholic oh, the who Oh, the father beat stood up. by and did nothing. Yeah, the father stood by and did nothing. Sorry, hard to remember. <laughs> yeah, so what, what Chris and I have discovered over the course of making this, we were sitting here asking each other questions. It's pretty hard to remember. It's just not... A fantastic movie and it's not a terrible movie it's a fine movie and when you think about it you think about certain things that stood out to you but not a lot does because it's just kind of like oh there's murders happening and there's creepy kids and we don't know what's going on until the very end and then we find out that it's her children of rage and none of it's really none of it's really tense none of it's really interesting because there are those tense movies that you're like oh but this is kind of neat 
but it's not that either. This, see, in the last episode, or whenever it was, that we watched the bird with the crystal plumage, I talked about how bored I was. Yeah. And I talked about how, you know, it was just like, oh my god, it's still going, it's still happening. I didn't feel that with this movie. I was perfectly engaged while I was watching it. But it's just not a memorable moment. I mean, movie, I mean, the most memorable thing about it is the very end. Yeah. Which is the most David Cronenberg part of the entire film, when you see her weird egg sack thing hanging out over her body. And that's kind of it. And we'll talk about the egg sack thing, but it's good that you mentioned how not memorable the movie is. Because I said, when we first started and there was this, the therapy scene, I was like, God, have I seen this before? I feel like I've seen this before, maybe. And then it wasn't until like halfway through the movie... That I was like, no, I've definitely seen this before because I know where this is going. But what I remembered was that intro therapy session and the birthing scene. And that was kind of it. Like, I was able to predict that. So I know I've seen this movie before. But for whatever reason, it just didn't stick with me. And I asked my buddy Bob, I was like, hey, did we watch The Brood together? Because I think if anyone was going to show me this movie, it'd be him. And he was like, I don't know. I mean, I have it, so I might have lent it to you. Like, even he couldn't remember if we had seen it together. It's just that kind of movie, I guess. It's an early Cronenberg, and he wouldn't get really nuts with the things that absolutely stick with you until later. And, you know, all the better for it, but now I mean, we're left with this I early stuff. About, that... When I think about Cronenberg, I think about the disgusting imagery of the fly. Yeah. Or the, fly. the creepiness of Videodrome. Videodrome didn't make any damn sense to me. I saw it years ago. And of course I got the metaphor, but I was just like, what on earth is going on in this movie? But The Fly is actually really, really good. It's just, it's hard to watch because of how disgusting it is. But this movie kind of had neither. I mean, it didn't really have the imagery. It didn't have anything that shocked me. I mean... I guess a lot of people would say that if the end of it doesn't shock you, then what will? And, and my response to that is I've seen a lot of shock movies. So it didn't. And when you compare it to The Fly, it does not stand up next to it. So he definitely did better things after this. Yeah. So yeah. it just kind of, I mean, it was perfectly fine. I, do, I would not say it was terrible. I would not say it was great. So let's talk about that last scene a little bit. You're a smart woman. Thank you. I think you understand what's going on here. She gives birth to this child from this external womb. I seem to be a very special person. I'm in the middle of a strange adventure. Let me be with you. I want to go with you wherever you go. Do you? Do you? Yes. And look! And it's covered in this sack, and she brings it up to her mouth. And what does she do? She eats it. The baby? Doesn't she? All right. Okay. Good. I'm glad you responded that way. No. Have you ever seen a dog give birth? Oh, she opens up the egg sack and lets it out. Yes. 
But I'm glad you said that because from Cronenberg, this is what he says. I had a long and loving close-up of Samantha licking the fetus. Oh, that's right. She's licking it and it's gross. When the censors, those animals, cut it out because it's really intense and it's like loving like her child. Like she's, you know, it's almost like she's making out with this baby. But that's not the point. The point is it's her offspring and she loves it like a dog nuzzling its puppy. You know, when the censors, those animals cut it out, the result was that a lot of people thought she was eating her baby. That's much worse than what I was <laughs> suggesting. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't very clear because they were they thought it was so disgusting well, that they you, needed see, to cut it out. See, this is the more the memory thing. When you say she was licking it, it's like, oh, now I do. I, I remember that image. And yes, that was a gross image. But clearly it didn't stick with me. It wasn't nearly as profound as the fly body horror. What did you think about the doctor trying to get the little girl out of the room while Frank was trying to keep Nora calm? So like he was just in the room with all the, the little rage babies. I remember him lying to her to calm her down, and she knew he was lying to her. I remember that. I didn't remember that it was them trying to save the daughter, but that makes perfect sense. So the sense. daughter had been kidnapped by the rage yes, babies I remember and brought that. to this room. Oh, he's in the room. Oh, that's right. And I did actually write notes about that. Like, oh, the tool shed, you know, where the children live. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I remember thinking, like, that's really fucked up. So there's this supposed to be tense moment where the doctor has to retrieve the daughter. He's being sacrificial. And the husband has to keep the husband has to keep the wife calm so that the children of rage don't attack. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And so he's making his way out and they're all just staring at him and they're not doing anything because she's not angry. But then she starts Nora starts to realize that, oh no, he's lying to me. I repulse him. Oh God, Nola. No. I'm sick on you. You hate me. Like, you think that I'm disgusting. And I am dis Like, she gets really, really angry, and then that's when they all attack. It's hard for that to be really, really tense. Like, in concept, it sounds really neat. But it's hard for that to be really intense when we're talking about a bunch of kids in some snowsuits. Like... It's not a very intimidating look with bad masks on, so they look like old yeah. midgets. So the whole time that I, the whole reason that we watch this is because I've read so much like about it. Like I said, I look at those lists all the time, and the brood comes up a lot, and it always made it sound like these children were frightening, and they're not. Not at all. They wear stupid masks. I mean, when. And from, from point, Jump Street, there you see them. Like, there's no... At some point in the movie, a doctor has dissected one. Oh, yeah, there's tells a pink you... flashback. I have that written down. I really liked the pink flashback. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a lot of exposition, but I liked that it was, like, all shot with this pink gel on it or whatever. And they and he talks about how deformed the kid is. But mm -hmm. when you see the children, they're just wearing stupid just masks. Kids. It's why when, when he gets attacked and they're all jumping around off the bed onto him and everything like that, that was literally a children's gymnast team. <laughs> no joke. Well, so, at least it was real children. I thought like yeah. you, I thought it was fucking adult midges. <laughs> no, they were, they were jumping all over him. So and they just couldn't be bothered to put makeup on them? They just had to make them wear stupid masks I know, that I you think could that obviously was, tell were masks? Been, yeah, it might have been just prosthetics that were a little bit too much. Ugh. Yeah, it was... I don't know what to say about this movie, really. 
I mean, I, there are parts of it that I really, really liked and parts of it that were ridiculous. Well, what part, like, what part are you talking about when you say there were parts that you really liked? What did you really like? I liked how, what is going on about the opening therapy scene? I liked, um, I liked the, the doctor trying to get the kid out of the room. I liked that concept. I liked how fantastically disgusting the birthing was and how when I saw it the first time, I was totally not expecting it at all. Um, I thought the acting was pretty good for what it was. But is that really, like, that's kind of faint praise, right? Like, Yeah. It sounds, well, I mean, you clearly liked parts of it way more than I did, but still kind of sounds a lot like what I'm saying. It was fine. So let's talk about what the critics had to say, and and then we'll let you guess at the Rotten Tomatoes. Variety called it an extremely well-made, if essentially unpleasant, shocker. Leonard Maltin, he, he reviewed it, and it was two sentences. Are you ready for this? Edgar eats her own afterbirth while midget clones beat grandparents and lovely young school teachers to death with mallets. It's a big, wide, wonderful world we live in. Wow. <laughs> and rated it an outright bomb. Wow. <laughs> Roger Ebert called it a bore and, quote, disgusting in ways that are not entertaining. And then said, he asked, are there really people who want to see reprehensible trash like this? The answer, Roger, is yes, because Cronenberg only went all in with this kind of stuff. Exactly the stuff that you thought was trash. They went, or he went all in. So that being said, what do you think the fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes is? I'll base this on the fact that it's by David Cronenberg, who has a huge cult following. And we know that the Rotten Tomatoes reviews are over time. It's not only at the time it came out. So I will guess that it has a higher rating than I would give it. Uh-huh. I would guess 80%. 78. There you go. Really close. So overrated, though. What would you give it? Probably a 68. Yeah. Yeah. I'd prob that's that's probably pretty head on. Because 70 sounds too high. 65 sounds too low. Let's go with 68. Again, listeners, this is really difficult for me. You have to understand, again, I am a teacher. The thought of giving a kid a D when they've tried really hard... <laughs> It's really hard for me to do. I normally you have to give... use the full spectrum, Kelsey. I understand. But it just, it wasn't, it obviously wasn't impactful enough to get either one of us to really remember it. Me, having not even remembered that I even saw it, when you said The Brood, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Uh, you know, like it didn't even register with me till we started watching it that I was like, this looks kind of familiar, maybe. But yeah, it just obviously wasn't fantastic enough. It's, but yeah, it, it is passable, not, I guess. It's not memorable, but... It's not like I walked away from it like, oh my god, I'm so mad I saw that, or anything like yeah. that. I no, was it like, was fine. I was fine yeah. with watching yeah. it, so I'll give it a 68. 68. Yeah, good. That said, that was 1979's The Brood. Next up, we're watching... Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Trick or treat on Halloween. Trick or treat from 2007. An anthology film. Directed and written by Michael Doherty. It has Anna Paquin in it. It has Brian Cox in it. We saw this movie once before, a few years ago, and there is a 
very good reason why there's kind of maybe an interlinking, an intertwining between these two movies, why we might not remember having seen it. I've seen this movie. Yeah, okay. All right. I've actually seen this movie a couple times since then. Okay. So, are so, you excited? Yeah, yeah. No, what it is, is it about? Tell me movie. what it's about. Real quick primer before we watch it. Halloween night, a couple of different stories of what happens to these people within the same town on Halloween night. All right. I'm excited to see it again because I absolutely don't remember it. This is 2007's Trick or Treat. During the spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. This is the one night that all sorts of things roam free. Sorry. All these traditions. Wait, wait. What? You're supposed to keep it lit. Why? Ancient tradition? Putting on costumes. I look like I'm five. You look great. What did we do now? We meet our dates. Jack-o'-lanterns. Why are we here? To pay our respects to the dead? The Halloween school bus massacre. They started to protect us, but... What in God's name are you doing down there? Hiding bodies? Nowadays, no one really cares. This one's the lit. Kelsey? Yes. What happens in Trick or Treat? Trick or Treat is a series of vignettes that are connected loosely about a night on Halloween and creepy things that happen. Yeah, and it's connected by? Mainly it's connected by a trick or treater, but there's various connections. Do you want me to go through each one? The main connection is Sam. That's the name of the trick-or-treater it's an odd choice for that name it's not oh (laughs) because it's short for Samhain which is Irish Gaelic for summer's end it's their term for Halloween oh and it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N it's pronounced Samhain in, in Irish Gaelic but Sam is the first part of that word. And so that's where the name Sam comes from. So a little bit of knowledge for you. Dropping it like it's hot. I love Sam. What do you think of Sam? I think he's the best. I like him until I see his face. Right. I could do without the face reveal. The face is bad. Yeah. It's like he's a pumpkin, but he's also a skeleton. And it's really weird I prefer him with the sack over his head but I like that he's just like he acts like he's just a little kid trick-or-treater mm-hmm. but he's like the spirit of Halloween yes yeah but the the mask is bad it's cheaply done it it makes a joke out of him and I get that this movie is very funny it has a lot of funny elements to it but he was genuinely like a creepy interesting character and then you put that mask on him it's just like oh it reminded me a lot of the masks from uh, Halloween 3. Yeah, kind of. There's the sinister-looking pumpkin mask, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they point this out in the in, in on IMDb, but 
Samhain is not, like, it's the name of the festivities. There is no, like, god of Halloween. There is no actual spirit of Halloween. There was an author in the first century AD who said there was, and that's kind of where that idea comes from. But there wasn't, actually. It was just the name of the festival that they had. So, more knowledge. Bonus thing you didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk about the production of the movie. This is a remake of sorts of Of the director's original short film called... uh, Michael Doherty is the director and writer. He did an original short called Season's Greetings. Huh. And they changed the name because it sounded too much like Christmas. And it just, it got made, but it just never got released. There's a series of reasons why it never got released. But we say it's 2007's Trick or Treat, but it actually didn't come out until 2009 and pretty much straight to DVD. Mm-hmm. Like it, it didn't have any life in the theaters practically at all. It was effectively released straight to DVD and that's where it garnered this like huge kind of pseudo cult following as being like a modern day Halloween classic. It is. It's a fun, campy, spooky story, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Similar to Creep Show, which was another vignette movie written by Stephen King. And you did not like it. <laughs> I did not like it because granted it's been a few years since I saw it. I've only seen it once and I don't even think we actually watched we Any of it. the whole vignettes. We did. We, we watched did? we watched the whole thing, yeah. I mean, it's just bad. I mean, the stories are stupid. The jokes aren't funny. Right, but the idea is that it's supposed to be campy. It's supposed to be silly. It's not supposed to be but laugh this, out loud But funny. Trick or Treat is different because Trick or Treat takes itself seriously when it should and is a joke when it should be. I guess the horror is kind of... The horror Serious. is there. Yeah, except for the fact when it comes to certain elements, it is kind of silly. Like when Sam takes the bite out of his lollipop and uses that to stab people. Like, that's dumb. That's really dumb. Well, this again, I mean, that's when the movie kind of... I would be fine if the movie just kind of ended when he attacks the old man. Just attack him. And didn't extend to the old man getting away because he... And they don't explicitly spell this out, but effectively what's happening in that scene is that he goes to stab the old man and the candy bar that he was eating is like on his chest and he stabs that instead. And he's satisfied because he because got the candy. tradition yeah, was followed. Right. Yeah. Trick or treat. He got his treat. So no trick was necessary anymore. And it should have just, it should have just ended. It, he shouldn't have taken off his mask. As soon as he took off his mask, the movie kind of goes downhill. It was already after he took off his mask. He he does the stabby thing, and then he goes to put his mask back on. But the whole scene between him... I think he just should have attacked the old man, and that should have just been the end. I didn't need any of the part inside the house. Yeah, I think they liked the idea of reinforcing the tradition. No, I know. I get why they did it. I'm just saying you were just talking about how there's a part that... It's silly. Of, about the stabbing with the right, candy. and that's totally unnecessary. We don't need any of that. However, they did. I mean, they talked about the whole like check your candy thing, and he ends up having a box cutter in the chocolate. In the chocolate, yeah. <laughs> that I'm okay with. See, that's that's again silly, but it's funny, and it's supposed to be campy. It feels like a like a 
like either a trauma movie or the um is trauma disgusting this movie sometimes is not disgusting so, no it's it's silly but in a camp sort of way like low budget i'm saying this seems like a, a high budget trauma movie or a full moon movie they make like ginger dead man and all those really off the wall low budget horror movies it felt like that but with a higher budget like a remake of creep show but with a higher budget it like you said it has the same comic book conceit which i really liked i used to read those comic books when i was a little kid those horror comic books those stories really fucked with me <laughs> so i really appreciated the whole general aesthetic of the movie as a whole well i guess it also just it just had better acting more interesting stories I liked it. I liked it a lot. So one of the theories about why this movie became so successful and why it finally got a release after being shelved for two years is that Anna Paquin is in it. And this is around the time when True Blood was really, really popular. So they thought maybe her celebrity contributed to the release of the film and to its subsequent popularity. So let's talk about the storylines. Anna Paquin is in one of those. The werewolves. Werewolves. What did you think of that one? The first time... I saw it. I gotta admit, I didn't see it coming. Yeah, it's okay. a big, it's a big twist that they're they're actually werewolves. werewolves, and you start to notice things when you know the twist. There's a lot of lead up that's just really tongue in cheek, like when they talk about how she's a virgin and her first time. They're talking about her first kill, and you find that out at the end when she's like, "Oh, I'll I'll promise I'll be gentle or whatever. This is my first time." You know that she says to the principal, who we'll get to later. It's my first time, so just bear with me. So yeah, there's a lot of jokes about that. She says at one point she wants it to be special. Well, no, but um, they're they're changing into costumes, and she and the sister goes, you know, let us in, let us in, or we'll huff and we'll puff. Yeah. Open the door, or we'll huff and we'll puff. Come on, seriously, open up. And then there's another joke. Because she is Little Red Riding Hood, also ironically. Yes. Who's So So there's the big bad wolf. Three little pigs. And the three little pigs. And there's just a lot of references to wolves. She says at one point, Mom always said that she was the runt of the, the runt litter. The runt of the litter, right, yeah. There were a couple of other ones. I don't remember what they were. Now. And so they all go out to this bonfire in the middle of the forest. So, but the whole... The whole storyline for them is that you're supposed to think that it's just a group of sluts that for some reason love to have sex on Halloween. It's this big tradition that they have. They go, they get into sexy costumes, they meet men, they and then they have sex with them. That's what you're supposed to think. And you're supposed to think that she is a virgin and this is going to be her first time. And that's all true in the werewolf murder sense. Yes, it ends up being that she's actually a werewolf. Now, the first time I saw it, and I've actually seen it once or twice since then, I don't remember. It being that graphic, right? I It being that extended. What I remembered about it, her actually turning into a werewolf is it just showed like her mouth turning into a werewolf's mouth and her biting him. No, I totally remember it because I remember the peeling off of skin. It reminds me a lot of that scene in Silent Hill when Pyramid Head just grabs that woman's skin and just rips it all off and then throws it at the church door. It reminds me of that. that. The transformation is really, really good. Like, very, very impressive. Uh, Obviously more stylized and, 
the aughts like heavy like metal new metal playing but kind I of thought it transformation but i thought it was really cool i mean she had kind of silly lines because earlier the reason that she picks the principal who we haven't talked about yet is because he wants to attack her he wants to kill her and he and she's dressed as little red riding hood uh-huh. so he says to her you know my what big eyes you have or something like that And right before she bites into him, she says the same line back to him. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of silly. And you see her sister, who's transformed into a full-blown werewolf, and it looks really bad. It, the idea is that they're not—they're not wolves. They're not large wolves. They're these weird, sort of disgusting monsters. And I—I I honestly really like the look. I mean, it was two thousand nine. It's not a huge budget, so they can only do so much. But I do have a question. This isn't like a ha gotcha question. It's a serious. I'm curious. How do they transform back? Do they put the skin back on? Does it grow back on top of them? Like, what is the transformation process back into women? Do what not does that know. look like? I'm just curious. I do not know. Anything else to say about this storyline? I dressed up as Little Red Riding Hood this Halloween. And I was the wolf. Yeah, he was yeah. the big bad wolf. So that was funny. <laughs> Let's talk about the principal. Mm-hmm. So really the only comment i have written down for this is man the vomiting kid so if you want to talk trauma like that's very trauma where the kid just won't stop vomiting because the principal whom he trusts because he's the principal uh gives him poison candy Mm -hmm. and the principal is an odd character he kind of goes back and forth between different types of murderer i guess All we get to see about him... Dylan Baker. He has a son, and as Chris said, he gets a boy. And the boy's a little dick, so you don't even really care. Yeah, he's totally a douchebag. Which is why it's funny when he keeps, like, stomping on him and hitting him with the shovel. It's funny, because you don't see that kid as a realistic kid. Right. He's a nuisance. Like, yeah, the principal's really creepy, but you're kind of like, ooh, like, this is kind of (laughs) cool. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to do whatever we want to do to the asshole kids we have to deal with every day? Anyway, so he gets this kid to eat the poison candy, and then he uh, tries to stuff him into a grave in the backyard. Mm -hmm. He keeps getting interrupted by various things. His obnoxious little kid. His obnoxious son. Who wants him to help him carve the pumpkin. Help him carve the pumpkin, help him do the eyes. And the whole time you're supposed to be thinking that he is hiding it from his son. Uh Uh-huh. But really he's just trying to shut his son up. Right. And the whole time he's talking about his kid as if he's going to kill his kid. And in fact, if you're listening to his little monologue that he has while he's putting the the body into the grave, and you see there's another body down there, Mm -hmm. he says, he's, he's making fun of his son, he says... Daddy, I want this. Daddy, I want that. Daddy, I wish mommy was still alive. Daddy, want to carve a pumpkin? 
pumpkin. Daddy, I want to go to the parade. Daddy, I wish mommy was still alive. Which implies that he killed his wife. Potentially. Right. I don't think that's a given, though. I, but that's what the implication is. So sure. then later, you find out that the kid's just as fucked up as he is, and the pumpkin is actually the kid's head. Which means the kid was headless, but still alive in the grave? Yeah. Because the head was already downstairs when the dad went down there? Yeah. Or it's... it was a different kid, and he just got back from killing multiple kids when he saw that guy. Yeah, we don't know. But Not yes. fully explained, but totally unnecessary to explain. It's just fun. So what Chris is talking about is that when he's talking to his neighbor, the body starts to, like, come reanimated, and he has to keep kicking it and hitting it with the shovel mm -hmm. and stuff. And he's trying to be quiet about it so that the neighbor doesn't see. And it's pretty funny. It's really funny, yeah. But like I'm saying, so he's going to go and help his son carve up the head. And when you first see it it's meant to make it look like he's going to kill his son because yeah. he's, he was just talking about how much he hates his son well and and then he goes inside and he's like huh and there's the knife all right and he takes the knife like he just got the inkling you know what i just killed this kid i'm gonna kill my kid too and he puts his hand on his son's head and he pulls up the knife and then he comes down into the decapitated head of the boy that's on the table in front of the son so it makes you wonder, did he kill the wife? Why isn't the son, if the son wants the mom back, why isn't he upset with him? If he hates his son, why doesn't he kill his son if he's willing to kill his wife? Like, it's Honestly, I think that just serves more to say that he's a single dad and the mom isn't a concern. Like, you're not going to see the mom in this, and the reason is is because she's dead. I guess I'm just, I'm thinking into it too much, but it really bothered it's me. It's just supposed to be a joke about how the kid's sad. He's making fun of his kid for being sad that his mom's dead. It's pretty fucked up. It's just to show that this guy's fucked up. And if you want to read into it that he killed the mom, I think you can. But so then later, he goes out to this to this big Halloween festival where he's dressed up as a vampire, a very interview with a vampire, sort of like wearing a mask kind of vampire. Yeah, and... He's making out with somebody and... And it does the typical joke that nobody cares about her screaming because it's Halloween. No one thinks she's in trouble because everyone around her is dressed up like zombies. And, and wearing fake blood. Fake blood, and, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. It's really odd because we find out from the werewolf story that he has fake, fake teeth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. teeth. So how does he use them to get into her skin? She says they're quality teeth. They're not, they're not like cheap Who teeth. Who says that? When she takes them out. I don't remember her saying anything She about She mentions how they're good. Oh. And he's just using them to pierce her flesh. He probably files them down. I don't know. Doesn't matter. You're supposed to think he's actually a vampire and then it's revealed that he's not. You're not supposed to worry about how he did that stuff. Well, again, I guess I'm thinking Part of too his, deeply right, into you it. Are, you are. Part of his kink is pretending to be a vampire at this point. So he uses the resources that he has to make himself feel like a vampire. And that includes fake teeth that he uses to bite women. Well, but whatever. But he also, I guess... Like, they make it look like he's actually killing her by doing that, but and that's not possible. No. He's attacking her, and she freaks out, and then he finds her and grabs her again and pulls her into the alley. We have to assume he kills her then. Oh, okay. And then, yeah, and then he's stalking Anna Paquin because she's going to be his next kill, and then she ends up being the werewolf. So. Yes, so that's why those two 
are connected. And listeners, it may sound like I'm not enjoying this conversation. I really am. I really like this movie. It's really fun. It's funny. It's spooky. It's just when I'm talking about it, I'm realizing, hey, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> so next up is the, the school bus story. After the kids that we're about to talk about go trick-or-treating at the principal's house, and he knows them because he's the principal, uh-huh. and he's freaking out because he's worried they're going to figure it out. In uh-huh. fact, one of them basically does. Right. He and... sees the blood on... there. They think it's part of his costume, but the one kid that's dressed up like a pirate sees notices the everywhere. Yeah. there's uh-huh. a trail, uh-huh. and he's really creeped out by it, and the principal says... What does he say to him? He says something. Yeah, he says something like... Happy Halloween yeah, or uh-huh. something. Happy Halloween. When they all turn to leave, all of a sudden there's Sam. Mm-hmm. And the principal's just like, didn't you get something? Here. Mm-hmm. And because he gives him candy, Sam leaves him alone. Yeah. I can't remember how Sam... He's just sitting on a log watching them kill the people. Okay, so in, he's just sitting... In the, in the werewolf storyline. Okay, yeah. that's right. I do remember that now. And then there's this one with the kids on the bus, where the kids who we've seen go door to door, and they're collecting pumpkins for a ritual... Where you light up the pumpkins to honor the, the the dead children that were driven down the ravine. And the story is that these were burdensome children. They're, the implication is that they're all really slow. Mentally disturbed in yes. some way. We're not sure how. And so the parents pay the bus driver to drive them off a cliff. But one of them freaks out and drives the bus off the cliff early into the rock quarry with the bus driver still in it. Bus driver survives, but nobody knows where he went. And but, okay, I don't care about that part. I care that they don't bother to explain how he survived. You just see that he's crawling out. I think the idea is is that they were all chained. I don't know about the the vampire who drives them off. Maybe Remember just because he, he's mentally disturbed. Or he whatever. got it off. No, I know. I'm saying I don't know why he didn't crawl out as well. But well, he was probably the first one to. Have they impact. survived. Right. They survived the fall into the water. And then, but they all drown in that water because they're chained into the seats. The bus driver not being chained in can swim out. That's, I think, the implication. But they're all wearing really fucking creepy Halloween costumes. Well, we're, you know, it's obvious that it was in the past. Yeah. But probably not as far back as I'm thinking because it looked like it was like the 60s or 70s. It was probably like 40 years or so, I think, is the implication. Okay. Maybe less, maybe 30 years. Well, because spoiler alert, the bus driver is the old man, the neighbor, the neighbor, to the principal. yeah, the one who gets attacked by Sam. So the difference between when he's in his 30s or say 40 and how old he looks in the end. So at maybe 30 years. But my point is, if you look at pictures of kids back in the. Oh, yeah. No, it's past, fucked, right? They have really bizarre. It's creepy fucked. Costumes. They're really creepy. Yeah, totally. They're really strange. So <laughs> that doesn't surprise me that much. Of course, it's done to be particularly creepy because we're On supposed purpose. to be afraid of them. Yeah. But I mean, it was a thing. We had weird costumes. So they're when we first. Yeah. Yeah. So they're trying to collect a bunch of pumpkins to do this ritual and they don't get enough. So they get the weird girl who The carved... idiot savant, as they yeah, call her. Yeah, she's not retarded. She's an idiot savant. I think it's specifically what they say. Is that Rhonda the retard? She's not a retard. She's an idiot savant. And then she's carved a bunch of pumpkins. So they bring her along on this trip and 
all of her pumpkins or many of her pumpkins as well. They take it down into the rock quarry and two of the kids go first because the Three elevator. It's the boy and the two girls. You're right, you're right. You're Which, right. by the way, okay, listeners, <laughs> I guess I don't know this stuff. One of the girls, this is supposed to be in present day. One of the girls has one of those ridiculous mouth retainer things. Yeah, external. I didn't know they made headgear. those anymore. Headgear. I thought we had gotten rid of those. Probably don't. The guy is not a kid anymore. He probably, it's probably what he remembers from when he was a kid. But anyway, why would a girl with headgear like that be friends with the popular girl? There's no indication that she's popular. She's just the alpha in this group. There's zero indication that she's popular among other kids other than these kids right here. She's got the cute guy on her side, Uh and she gets mad when the cute guy is actually... They're also really young. They're like middle school age, so they probably haven't gotten to the point where they split apart into different cliques because of stuff like that. I teach middle school. Mm -hmm. They do. They do. Anyway, so three of them go down. The cute guy, the popular girl, and the retainer girl. They go down first because the elevator isn't big enough for them all so then the elevator gets sent back up the nerd girl and the pirate kid get in their screams they hear there's crazy fog so they can't really see things uh-huh. um they hear whispering about like what's going on and then they hear screams and then um the pirate kid pretends like he's too afraid to go out so she goes out the, the nerd girl goes out and then she sees the pirate kid with all these fake um, Getting his guts intestines eaten, eaten yeah, by uh-huh. one of the other kids. And my my response, it ends up being a prank. The, the popular girl is playing a prank on the nerd girl, whatever. My response to that is, it is a crazy elaborate prank. Oh, it's prank. a very elaborate prank. But again... Not the point, just that it's a prank. It's supposed to feel like those pulp horror comic books where it's everything is put into the twist and nothing is put into the setup. You can you can fuck with whatever you want in the setup as long as you get to that twist. Anyway, so the girl starts screaming her head off. She freaks out. She as breaks anyone her glasses. Naturally, yeah, she breaks her glasses, etc. And then the popular boy who already kind of like was telling her how cool her pumpkins were goes and comforts her and yells at the popular girl like what more do you want she is freaking out here like this he's still culpable but he's at least trying he he recognizes they fucked up look everyone deserves a second chance not everyone i just said (laughs) not everyone deserves a third chance but everyone deserves a second chance so what no, I happens think the, next I think the, makes I, me really mad. I think the idea is that, no, he did something fucked up and yes, he deserves he to be punished. He just doesn't think they should continue to do it. Not that they shouldn't have done it. He never expresses remorse for what they did. He only says they shouldn't go any further. That's all he says. Go pack everything up. We're leaving. Says who? Macy. She's scared out of her mind. What else do you want? I think it's pretty clear that he feels guilty. Yeah. But feeling guilt and being punished are two different things. Agreed. And yes, he does deserve to be punished. He doesn't deserve to die. And that's the point. That's why these are like these old horror movies. It's about extreme punishment and people being murdered for their sins. Nobody in any of the movies we've watched this entire time have deserved to die. So why does this one bother you? Lots of people deserve to die. Kevin Bacon, why did he deserve to get an arrow through his throat? Like, he didn't. Absolutely not. 
He didn't even fuck with anybody. <laughs> okay. I just thought the kid felt remorse. He didn't deserve right. it. Right. And that's what makes it fucked up. And that's what I said earlier about how these old pulpy horror comic books messed with me because it's a lot of fucked up shit. Fucked up stuff happens, and it's very Twilight zone where the guy who just wanted to read, his glasses break. What, did he deserve that? No, but it's an amazing episode of television because it's just that kind of fucked up. Like, that's exactly what this is. Yes, it's wrong. They shouldn't have to die, but that's what makes it a horror twist. So anyway, what ends up happening is they blow out all the candles, which they had already said earlier in the movie is a tradition, and if you... If you if you blow um, out the candles before the end of Halloween, you aren't protected. Yeah. So the dead kids rise up from the quarry and they come after the kids. And the nerd girl is already in the elevator for some reason. I don't remember why. And no, she made it her way back to the elevator. Oh. And so she sees that they're coming. And she closes the gate and the kids are like, no, please, like, this isn't a prank this time. Like, they're really coming. And she just kind of looks at them like, I know they are. And then hits the button and goes mm -hmm. up and leaves them behind yeah, to die. sick and twisted. And I don't care the about point. the other kids, but like the one kid who showed that he cared about her didn't deserve to die. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and then as she's, as the nerd girl's walking away, she sees uh, Sam. And they just kind of pass by each other. Who's walking towards the quarry for what purpose we never see. There is one story we haven't talked about that's not as connected as the others. And that's while the kid is out and about that night, he runs across the woman and her husband. And the woman is just annoyed at the night. And she ends up going to take down all the decorations and Sam kills her for it. This is... With the timeline set up, he kills her with the lollipop. This is after he attacks the old man and leaves without killing him. He, that's when he sees her taking down the decorations and he kills her. It's important to say, too, every single one of the characters pass by each other at some point in the movie. But we're not right. going to go over all nah, that. But it, but it does happen. Anyway, so, so that couple, the wife hates Halloween. Okay, fine. Whatever. I'll buy that. The husband is all into it. They have a billion ghosts up. And I know that they use that for the effect yeah, of her pulling effect. them. It's yeah. scary. And then she ends up being one of them. He puts her head on it. Blah, blah, blah. Right? Okay. You want me to suspend my disbelief and believe that somebody would take that much time and care and effort into Halloween. Great. I'll do it. Some people do. Why would they take the decorations down that night? No. Why would you do all that when you're not going to be home on Halloween night? If you're not having a party and you're not handing out Halloween, I mean candy. Interesting. You literally have something to overthink about every one of these vignettes. <laughs> but th this is stuff I understand that you what you're saying. No, I wrote down seriously though. Why would you take down your decorations on Halloween night? Your mom is coming over. That's not a good enough excuse. It's not a good enough excuse. <laughs> not to mention. It's dark outside. Like, yeah. you, you could trip, you could drop things, you could miss things. Mm -hmm. What's the point? Why not just wait until the morning? I think there's not a lot of fear because it is kind of a neighborhood where everyone's out and about that night. So there's not as much fear. It's not as quiet and lonely. But Sam manages to kill her without anybody knowing. Right. That still happens. And it's funny because she screams, but the guy's upstairs watching porn. So and he falling asleep. So, so he doesn't understand yeah. what's happening. So now the old man? Yes. Brian Cox. I know him. 
Yes. Oh, he was, I mean, he's been in a ton of things, but the first thing that popped into my mind is Rushmore. He's the principal. Yes. He's also Stryker in X-Men 2. Yep. Bad guy. Bad guy. Yes. This was written by the same guy who wrote X-Men 2. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. And one of the men who wrote X-Men 2. Did his character look familiar to you? The character? Yeah. Did his character look familiar to you? With the scraggly hair uh-huh. and shuffling around in specifically, his bathrobe? Specifically the, sh- the scraggly hair and the, the facial hair and all that. Are we talking about like Rob Zombie's? No. He's designed to look like John Carpenter. It's like an homage to him, basically. Hmm. Well, anyway, he's an angry, grumpy old man. He's not giving out any candy, which is why we assume uh, Sam attacks. Yeah, it's a sin. <laughs> it's pretty funny because at one point... Okay, so he's the neighbor. So he comes out when uh, the principal is trying to kill the kid. They're trying to bury the kid, yeah. Bury the kid. <laughs> It's really, it's a really good line, even though it's not going to, I'm not going to do it justice and it's going to sound stupid, but he's been trying to convince his neighbor that nothing funny is going Uh on in his backyard. Of course, the neighbor doesn't give a fuck. He just Uh wants him to shut up. Yeah. Um, The principal, as the old man is walking away, the principal says, happy Halloween. And the old man goes, screw you. (laughs) Happy Halloween. Screw you! And then later, when the old man is trying to get away from the kids... From Sam. Oh, yes, Sam, you're right. He's banging on his window. Uh-huh. He's saying, help me, help me. And the principal goes, screw you. <laughs> Wilkins! Wilkins! Over here! Wilkins! Wilkins, help me, goddammit! Help me! Screw you. There are a lot of little loops like that. As a matter of fact, I just realized one. You know how earlier I said Sam was going towards the quarry himself, and that's when he passes the woman? That's how the kids get up out of the rock quarry. He sends the elevator back down for them. Does he? That must be what he does, because the kids get out somehow, and it explains why he's going to the quarry in the first place. And then the kids show up at the old man's house, who is the bus driver. So. Which, to be perfectly honest, why aren't you more mad at your fucking parents? Right. Yeah. Parents wanted you murdered. I don't think they know that. All they all they know is that they were driven off the bus by the bus driver. They don't know the rest of the story that they that the kids tell. So really good. But so the guy learns his lesson and he starts handing out candy. Uh-huh. To everyone. He makes it a point. But he still gets killed. He anyway. still gets killed. Like there's no retribution there. No, there's no that's what I'm saying. redemption. It's, that, it's it's the pulp horror classic twist where it's horrific twists. Bad things happen no matter if you're good or bad. They just want, oh, isn't it fucked up if this would happen? That's what it's all about. And that's what I really enjoyed about it. It it harkened back to my youth, I feel. So, Kelsey, any last things to say about Trick or Treat? Lightning round? I don't have anything. I have a ton of things. All right, let's go through them. Quick, quick, quick. It's very clear that this small town in Ohio, of all places, takes Halloween super seriously. And uh-huh. I, I found that really hard to believe. I was like, why would a small town in Ohio, they have this big Halloween festival, everyone mm-hmm. gets dressed up. It's a big deal. It's very strange. You know, my hometown takes the 4th of July festival super fucking seriously. Because it's giant the 4th parade. of July. 
That's what small towns do. That's what they live for. Right. Small towns have weird traditions. Oh, okay. So another thing that the girls say, they're, they're talking about the different people that they've supposedly slept with, but we end up finding out eat. They say, yeah, she ended up with a girl last year or something. Mm-hmm. And the girl goes, it all tastes the same yep. to me. Mm-hmm. There you go. That was another one. The principal says to his son that his father set him right. So that makes me wonder if it's like a longstanding tradition. Probably. That the men are all That's a good point. I didn't even think killers. about that. Yeah. This is probably why I, I put it with Rob Zombie. I was thinking about Halloween. The old man, the neighbor, is talking to his dog and he says... Get your ass in here. Get your ass in here. Yeah. (laughs) And listeners, if you've been paying attention to our show, you should recognize that in Halloween, the original, Sam Loomis says, get your ass away Away from from there. there. Hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. Yeah, no, totally. It it was very much We were talking about that that. during the movie. We're like, there is no way that's not a reference. (laughs) I also love that the the old man, like, as he's walking into his house and he's talking about his neighbor, who he doesn't know, by the way, is killing people. Right. He says, God damn freak. God damn freak. And it's just so funny because it's like, he is a freak, uh-huh. you know? And it's like, everyone <laughs> He just thinks tell. he's a freak because he's a putz. <laughs> the son is annoying as shit. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Like, I know that's the point. Uh-huh. I was just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> but you started up. to feel for the dad, the principal. Like, he's burying a child, hitting it over the head with a shovel. And he keeps shouting at the kid, or whispering back at the kid, just go inside and be quiet. And the kid keeps coming back. Don't forget to help me with the eyes. But don't forget to help me with the eyes. <laughs> so the nerd girl, when she's walking with the pirate kid, I forget what they're talking about, but... Oh, they're talking about the history of Halloween. And she's kind of freaking the kid out. He's just like, because she's talking about like death and ghosts and shit. And the kid's just like, okay. (laughs) And you can tell he's creeped out. And the girl looks at him and she goes, I like your eye patch. (laughs) What? Where did that come from? Well, she drops a compliment because she, she is... Aware of the fact that she's weirding the kid out. It's it's very funny. The she's girl's being pretty op- good. She's, she's really excited about something she's interested in. And she explains the Samhain tradition and all that. And she recognizes the fact that she's just nerded out. And she's not supposed to do that. And so she gives him a compliment to distract him from the fact that she did that. It's so adorable. It is. She's she is great. really, really great. I love her. Oh, my God. When they're showing the scene of the kids driving on the bus toward yes. their death yes when the vampire figures it out it's so sad it's i don't think that it, it's that he necessarily knows what's going to happen because he ends up driving into the into the pit himself it's just that he's having this panic attack because he wants to go home and he realizes they're not going home wrong way isn't that what he says wrong way wrong way wrong way wrong way I want to go home. Yeah, I I know. It's super sad. It's really sad. And he's got this uh, vampire mask on. They all have masks on. You never get to see their faces. Right. Which also kind of makes you think that perhaps they're meant to, they're deformed or something in some way. Uh But it's so sad. You just have to watch this kid desperately trying to escape. Oh, when they take all the fucking pumpkins down to the quarry, it really pissed me off that they all stayed lit. It was just like... There's no way. Have you ever picked up a pumpkin with a lit candle in it? They they go out real easy. Yeah, especially real with fast. the cutouts in the face. Yeah. 
I wrote that there was a Pet cemetery reference, but I don't know what I meant by that. Oh, yes. Sam is hiding under the old man's bed, and he cuts his Achilles tendon, or at least on his leg near it, by reaching out from under the bed and slicing it with his uh, with, the, with a box cutter knife, which is... It wasn't a box cutter. I think it was an exacto knife in Pet Cemetery, but that's straight out of Pet Cemetery. No, that was a, uh, a scalpel. Yeah. Yeah, he used a scalpel because his dad was a doctor. Yeah. Last thing. The old man thinks he's killed Sam. Yeah, he shoots him multiple times. And, like, body parts go everywhere. Uh-huh. And then you see the hand crawling, and that just was, like, you know... My brain immediately shot off in a million directions. Oh, it's a hundred different things, All including the, creep, the creeping hands, the Adams family. Yes, but more specifically to horror and slight horror comedy. Oh, yes, one of my favorite horror comedies, which we're gonna have to add to our list now that I'm thinking about it. Evil Dead. Oh, that's not what I was thinking about. Is the Evil Dead? He he cuts his hand off because his hand becomes possessed, and that's why he gets the chainsaw hand. Because he doesn't actually have a hand, he puts the chainsaw on his stump, and he has to fight the hand that's crawling around on its own. No, I realize that. Uh-huh. And I'm really excited about that, and that's also that's already on our list. We're doing both evil But what deaths. are you thinking of? I was thinking of Idle Hands. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic which, movie. Which is also kind of a reference to Evil Dead 2, mm-hmm. where in, he doesn't get a chainsaw. He gets a, a meat cutter, Hi. like a turkey cutter, you know? <laughs> I'm Leatherface. <laughs> That's going on to our list. Now. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> really like it. I'm really, 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 really like there it. There is a sequel. Really? Yes, there's another one, just like there's another creep show. Oh, God. On FearNet, they did a 24 hour marathon of Trick or Treat for Halloween in 2011. There was a short little vignette about a an Easter celebration and something went wrong. I don't know. I've never seen it. And then Sam is outside watching and he has little bunny ears on. It's the idea of the whole like season's greetings thing, which was just what this originally was. But that's not that's not what's happening. He announced in 2013, Doherty, that they were gonna make a trick or treat two. And just this past month in October of of twenty seventeen he said that he hopes to work on that next after Godzilla. So he's making Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is coming out next year. And not, sorry, him. not next year, 2019. And so he's hoping after that's done, he'll get to work on Trick or Treat too. So expect it sometime soon. I'm, I'd be really excited to see what they managed to make in a sequel. That being said, Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey, what do you think it has? 79 83. 83% Rotten Tomatoes certified fresh. Well, no, it's not certified fresh. It's just fresh. What do you think? Overrated or underrated? I'd say it's probably right about there. Maybe 85. Yeah. I mean, knowing that it's campy and that's half the fun of it, I would fluctuate between 80 and 85 because like, oh, it's kind of campy, 80%. But that's what makes it so fun, 85, you know? So... (laughs) Yeah, I'd say it's uh, it's it's pretty spot on. So, Kelsey, what are we watching next? Next week, we have another double feature. 1941's... Wolfman. The Wolfman. Aww. And, two- <laughs> and 2010's... 
The Wolfman. The Wolfman. Like, it's one word. Like, the Wolfman. Wolfman. (laughs) There's 41's The Wolfman and 2010's The Wolfman uh, with Benicio Del Toro. Neither of which I have ever seen. Yeah, you know what? I've never seen the original Wolfman either. I mean, we've all seen the popular shots. Yeah, I think we all know exactly what's going to happen in it. But it'd be nice to see it. We've seen a lot of original horror movies, so it'd be nice to add this to our repertoire. Of old school werewolf movies, we've only... uh, Together, we've only seen I Was a Teenage Werewolf, and that is because of It. Yes, because that's one of the monsters in uh, the book, It is the the werewolf from I Was a Teenage Werewolf. So we went ahead and watched that. And, and it's that was, great. That was something else. That was something else. Um, but we remember that the new Wolfman got terrible reviews. Right. It didn't do that well. It was Benicio Del Toro and I think Anthony Hopkins? Somebody famous like that. I don't remember if it was Anthony Hopkins. But that makes me sad because if it is him, I love him and I love Benicio. So it's like, Oh, are on. you on a first name basis now? Benicio is one of my favorite boy names. All right, so as always, please share the podcast with your friends, rate and comment on, rate and review on iTunes, subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. Send us emails. Yes, you can send us emails to podcemetery at gmail.com. That's S-E-M-A-T-A-R-Y at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at, at podcemetery. So please uh, follow us, talk to us, send us comments, all that, and we'll, uh, maybe if it's good enough, we'll see, answer anything on the show itself. Until next time, Kelsey, what do we always say at the end of every episode of Pod Cemetery? Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Trick or treat on Halloween. When the pumpkin shells cast evil spells, your little white house turns green, your little white house turns green. Your little white house turns green. Your little white house turns green. Every coast is a coast. If you got a witch's broom, and if you want your gate to circulate, oh ho, we can do that too. Break a tree, break a tree, break a tree, break a tree, break a tree for Halloween. When ghosts and goblins by the door ring the bell on your front door, you better not be stingy or your nightmares will come true. Can you turn towards the mic and talk to me, baby? I am talking. I can talk. Is that from the stand? Is that how he says it? Not that pronounced. Uh-huh. I can talk. I can sing. <laughs> we Ooh. make that joke every time. Help me, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, oh, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Well, of course you can. Well, I couldn't before.